Be good. <laughs> Hello, friends. Welcome to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. This is your pal, Andrew. I'm coming to you from Oaxaca, Mexico, where I'm back with my wife and dog after a two-week visit to the San Francisco Bay Area. I was working on a project with my good buddy, Eric Jacobson. It was a lot of work, and it was fantastic to be so busy and to uh, get to spend time with my friend and his wife and harvest apples and build things and work with my hands. It was uh, It was wonderful, and... It was capped off, that visit was capped off in a very interesting way. Um, For one, there were terrible wildfires all over the place, uh, very close to where I was. We had power outages. The local power company turned off the electricity to prevent even more wildfires due to these crazy winds that were whipping through. Um, So there was that happening. And then our pal Chris Ryan, host of Tangentially Speaking, was coming to town and uh, doing a book signing the day after I left. So I, I was like, hey, man, do you want to hang out? Can I come see you guys? And we did. We hung out a whole day. We spent, I mean, almost all of Sunday. I met his buddy, Stanley Krippner, which was very brief, but it was a pleasure and a privilege to meet that that beautiful human being. And then Chris took me to the little town of Bolinas on the coast where I got to meet today's guest, a guy named Lloyd Kahn, who... Man, this guy blew my mind. He and his wife, Leslie, invited us in their home. Leslie made us tea and gave us some delicious tart uh, that was made from apples from their, from their property. We, uh, we toured his, his homestead, which is just magnificent. Um, and Lloyd is a writer. He is a photographer. I mean, the quintessential journalist. The guy has a fantastic website, LloydCon.com. You can link to it from our website. Um, And he has written so many books on everything from stretching your body to building a home to put that body in. And he's damn good at all that stuff. And he's 85 years old and in better shape than I am. He's just a, a happy, healthy interesting character who I feel so privileged to have met, let alone to be able to share his story with you. Uh, I feel like you're in for a treat. Uh, Oh, and if you get a chance before, during, or after this podcast, you should look up the Whole Earth Catalog. Lloyd was the uh, the editor of like their shelter uh, section. Uh, Clearly uh, an expert on the building of um, responsible homes that are good, good for you. Anyhow, yeah, check that out because we talk about it a little bit in the podcast. And if you're not familiar with it, it would be good to uh, familiarize yourself. Okay, um, what else? Oh, yeah. Thank you, Chris. Chris Ryan. You're my hero. <laughs> you and uh, and Lloyd, th- that Sunday that I spent with you two was, uh, was one of the better days of my adventure so far. It was... Um, 
The only thing missing were my wife and dog, which could have made that even better. But anyhow, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for your continued support and friendship. It means a lot. Um, also, thank you to you out there who were just listening and support us with um, either Patreon support, which is fantastic. Those of you who have written reviews, it's wonderful. But those of you who just tune in and listen, I'm still very, very thankful for you because it blows my mind that anyone just listens at all. Um, I'm, I'm just grateful. So thanks. Uh, oh, and if you've been sending me emails, um, or if you've been considering sending me an email, keep doing that. Well, keep sending them, stop considering it, and just go ahead and send it. mtp.dog forward slash contact is the best way to get in touch with me. Touch with me. Um, it means quite a bit to, to read your stories. People have told us some really touching things. Uh, I don't know if I should read those on here or not. Um, I don't know if there's something you want to share with the audience. Just let me know uh, advance in advance of your of your letter. I'd be happy to do that. But uh, it means a lot to me to to read your stories and hear about what you guys are up to. Uh, we get emails from people all over the world, which is uh, what a what an honor. Okay, I'm gonna stop this rambling and get you right on board with Mr. Lloyd Kahn, who has quite a bit to say here. Until next time, I hope you are doing fun and interesting things. Adios. Thank you, Lloyd Kahn. I'm so thrilled to be in your house. You guys have a gorgeous place. Uh, this property feels like um, like a sweater. You know what I mean? Like you just put a comfortable on sweater. an incredibly yeah. comfortable sweater that you you look forward to coming back to it and it gets cold. You know, yeah. it's funny you said that because uh, in the book Shelter, I interviewed a, a carpenter in Santa Barbara. His name was Robert. And he was talking about people who uh, build houses that are um, just really difficult to build or that are seven-sided or that are curved or, you know, uh, something not rectangles. And he said you should build a house and then get on with your life. He said, it's like a sweater. You don't spend your whole life knitting a sweater. You knit the sweater, you put it on, and then you get on with your life. Yeah, yeah. you live in it. You, yeah. The yeah. sweaters get more comfortable as you well, live Well, I mean, you know, you notice that this is quite a different atmosphere than Dwell Magazine, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I don't understand the, um, I don't understand uh, why Dwell would be so popular you know, with the minimalist yeah. aesthetic. Well, it's just, that, that I think is often, and I, I say this in all due respect to people who like dwell and that whole thing, but yeah. I, I think that's often a simulacrum of this. Like what mm -hmm. you've achieved here is kind of the real thing. And, you know, people, and that was like restoration hardware and those things that people buy online or they go shopping for, they look for this particular look. They want things to look lived in and worn or, or older yeah. or reclaimed, you know, that look is what people are shooting for, but you've achieved it au well, naturel. They're, well, they're not going to get it unless they do it themselves. That's do the it thing. Yourself. Yeah. And so, the, you know, I, I tell people your computer isn't going to build your house for you. No. It still has to be done by hand and you still need a hammer and a saw. You know, maybe it'll be a nail gun and a, and a power saw. But, right. uh, and, and I think that those minimalist, uh, you know, where it, there's nothing on the walls, everything is slick and glass and shiny, is probably people that work 12 hours a day and they come home and they just want to have things be 
um, uh, you know, non-intrusive or sterile. Right. Anyway. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Talking about your computer not building it yourself, where did you learn to build? Are you an old, like, are you from California? Yeah. Where are you you're from here? Cal- so, San Francisco. From San Francisco. So who taught you how to build? There's some pretty incredible buildings down there. Um, when I was 12, my dad uh, built a house in the Sacramento Valley. He, had, he bought a rice farm up there. And he was also a duck hunter. And, um, and so we built a concrete block house uh, in, in, uh, near Calusa, California. And uh, it was uh, eight miles out of town, and so it was a lot of, it had a concrete floor and uh, concrete blocks, which we filled the concrete blocks with grout. But my job was um, shoveling sand and cement and gravel into a concrete mixer and then wheelbarrowing it over to the, you know. And um, so we would go up there and work on weekends, and uh, finally we got, we had masons come up and do the concrete block work, and when we got the walls done, we were putting on a started put on the roof, and they gave me a a, um, a carpenter's apron, hammer, nails, and let me go up and nail down the sheathing on the roof. And I just still remember what it was in the morning, and the wood smelled really good. And so that was, you know, I got off to a a, a comfortable start with building, and I liked working with my hands. My my dad's. Um, my dad worked with his hands. My, in fact, yesterday, the day before yesterday, I've been looking through an old family album, and there's this kind of funky little car there. And it turned out that my grandfather had made this car for my dad. He made a car, you know, a motorized car with bicycle wheels on it because my dad had had an accident when he was five years old, and he was in the hospital. And so his my, my, my grandfather promised him he'd make him a car, and he made him this car. And I was looking at this car. I thought, that's really you know, pretty interesting. So I think that, you know, some people can work with their hands. And uh, I think, you know, most people can if they get started. And so back to anyway, so when I was 18, I got a job working as a um, carpenter on the uh, docks in San Francisco for a shipwright. And so what it was rough carpentry. And when the when San Francisco was still a port, this was in the 50s. And uh, we would so they would load the ships up with cargo, and then we would go in and build structures in the in the um, holds that held the cargo in place when they went out on the uh, ocean. And when the ships weren't in port, then we would build pallets uh, down in the uh, actually uh, at the foot of Hyde Street in San Francisco. So those two things. So I was uh, you know I w- was comfortable working with tools, and then I guess in. 1961, uh, I started building, and I just kind of learned as I went along. I, I wish that I'd, I always wish that I'd had some training with a with a journeyman carpenter, but I didn't, and I just found out that I, I just started, and and by starting a project like that, you you'll figure it out once you get going, and a lot of it was reading books, you know, like looking at books. There was. Um, uh, Ken Kern wrote a book called The Owner Built Home. It was popular with people in the 60s. and but um, So I just sort of learned as I went along, you know. Uh, the trial and error. Once you get so deep yeah. into a project, you've got to finish it. Yeah. yeah They've got to yeah. find the right people who can help you. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so from, from then, you were in the service. I, well, I graduated from Stanford in 1957, 
And then I, from 1958 to 1960, I was in the Air Force. Uh, uh, in Germany, I ran a, a newspaper on an Air Force base. Uh, it was called the Sembach Jet Gazette. And, uh, and I was in charge of the photo lab. And so uh, the Air Force newspapers were pretty dull. They were, you know, like the party through, thrown by the officers' wives club. And so I changed it to a tabloid and uh, with a large photo on the cover. And, uh, and, and I had a, a, a guy, a sergeant, who was a base photographer, which was he had to go out and shoot things with a 4x5 Graflex camera. Mm-hmm. And with, but he had a Leica that he used to go around and shoot candid shots with. And so I encouraged him to go out and shoot things. So we, we, you know, we made the newspaper into a, a kind of like a photo journal. Mm-hmm. And then I got out in 1960 and came back home and had a piece of land in Mill Valley and started building. And uh, the first thing I did was convert an old uh, carport into a studio with a, what we called a sod roof, which are now called living roofs. Yeah. When I look at your photos now, I, I was just looking at uh, your incredible book about the beach, the temporary beach structures. Yeah. What's the name of that, that book? Uh, Driftwood Shacks. Driftwood Shacks. Yeah. Uh, your photography still kind of has a journalism feel to it. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite the the Norman Rockwell or you're not going for some, you know, Ansel Adams moment, but it's got like a, a, a I don't know, a, a chronicler's eye or something. Do you think is that a holdover? Do you do you feel like you shoot as a journalist, or what do you? Yeah, I I, I feel like I am a journalist, um, but I'm not getting paid to, to do it by anybody. But I'm, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I always have wanted to tell people what I see in the world, which yeah. is pretty incredible. I mean, especially when I travel, I see stuff going on, and uh, almost the first thing I think of is, well, how, how can I, sh- you know, show people what this building looks like or what this person is doing. I, I did, I had a, in high school, I had a journalism class. I had a teacher um, who was named uh, Jack Patterson. We called him Captain Jack. And he was a, he was a, a Marine that had uh, been awarded the Silver Star in World War II. And he was just this great guy. And uh, years later, I three of us from my high school found out that our careers had been inspired by this high school teacher. And so, but anyway, ever since then, and I, when I was in the, um, when I was in the Air Force, um, I went up to work for a week at the uh, Stars and Stripes, which was the uh, European, um, the newspaper for all the NATO bases in, in Europe. And I worked on the desk there, and I realized that I, I just couldn't write that fast. And that, I, and that I'd have an ulcer, you know, those guys are, yes, anyway, yes. you know, I love the idea of journalism and the idea of, you know, being accurate and, and trying to present the news with as little, um, you know, opinion as possible. And so, uh, so I think I do that. I mean, I, you know, my, I mean, my journalism right now is in a way doing books, but also doing a blog and doing um, Instagram. You know, all the all all through the years. I mean, I've done posters and pamphlets and booklets and you know every possible type of of uh, of uh, communication device. Uh, yeah, you're definitely a storyteller, and in a great way. I was reading your blog about well, quite a few entries in your blog recently, uh, but one in particular where you were talking about the Beat Poets and their influence <laughs> on you, and it's. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, 
I, I really enjoy it when somebody can kind of like twist the nipple of of people's ideas of what you know we've got this romanticized uh notion of what the beats were like and yeah. what san francisco was like in the yeah. 60s and and all these things and you know right now we're just punch drunk with cynicism in this country kind of in the mm. world there's just so much yeah anger and people are cynical about things and don't want to be whimsical but your your blog and the way you talk about things it's realistic not overly cynical but uh it's it's not painting this this false picture of the past present or future and so i I, i'm wondering i guess i guess that is just the journalistic impulse in you to tell it like it is just the facts ma'am but not um not overly paint the thing well like what happened when the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love came along, um, there started being all this stuff written about it. And I th- thought, you know, that's not the way I saw it. So I started to write a book on the 60s. And I just got up to a point with it where it just sort of, I don't know, I just, I just, it, I ne- needed to do other things and it wasn't coming together the way I thought. But the impulse for that, book was the fact that I grew up in San Francisco and I went to high school in the Haight-Ashbury district and I dropped out of my job as an insurance broker in 1965 after smoking pot. And so I felt that the baby boom generation, which was 10 years younger than mine, I was a lot more interested in what they were doing than my generation, which was basically making money. You're, You're a war baby. Uh, me? Yeah. No, I was born in 1935. Oh, the, 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 maybe. yeah, yeah. The baby boom guys were born in 45 onward after the war. And so they were this group that, you know, uh, that they didn't want to go to work for corporations. I mean, the counterculture did. So all that stuff started happening. And anyway, there was a beautiful few years there in San Francisco up until the summer of love when it all fell apart, really. And uh, then nobody uh, um, really picked up on that. And the fact that an awful lot of that history is um, being um, written by or, or talked about by Peter Coyote and the diggers. And to my mind, when the diggers arrived in San Francisco, that was the end because they were like street savvy, hard edged New York guys who understood the media and so when you read about this, and and then I thought also that the beats, the beats to me were, you know, um, there was there were elements in them of negativity, and that uh, they would put you down, and in a way that the new, the baby boomers, the the counterculture, the hippies didn't. The hippies wanted to share everything, and the beat guys were, you know, so those things, uh, you know, so I started out to write a book about the 60s and I so I thought well I better go back and just go through my childhood in the city and all that stuff and I just sort of got hung up there so now I have a few chapters up on my blog on the 60s but I I may get back to it someday and but here's an interesting thing about the 60s and so I started noticing in maybe 63 or 64 things were starting to happen in San Francisco and um 1965, I took a uh, um, vision quest across the country. I, I, I took a leave of absence from being an insurance broker, and I uh, 
got a Greyhound bus to Bakersfield, hopped on a freight train, rode through the mountains over to Barstow, and then hitchhiked across the country uh, into New York City, hung out there for a while, went out to uh, Cape Cod to um, Provincetown to hang out with my cousin, who was a painter, and hitchhiked back into New York. And on my way back into New York, I got picked up by these kids who were going to the Rhode Island School of Design, RISD. And it was Saturday, and they said, you can stay at our loft. You want, okay. Well, we're going to a Bob Dylan concert. Okay, so I go to the Bob Dylan concert that night in Providence, Rhode Island, and it was like $3.50 to get in. And I had my camera. <clears throat> I told the cops I was a reporter, a photographer, and they let me get right up next to the stage. And I didn't, I didn't, I kind of knew who Dylan was, but I wasn't a folky fan. So first half was folk music, second half intermission, and, and uh, guys walked out with electric instruments. I didn't know what was going on, and a lot of people booed, and, um, and you know, and then here, here comes Maggie's Farm, you know, yeah. and holy shit. And I, so I have pictures of that concert, and I, I've, I've looked back at the pictures, black and white, Tri-X. I've looked back at the pictures, and uh, hey, that's Robbie Robertson. <laughs> that's Levon Helm. So it was probably maybe the second or third <clears throat> concert where he did that, where he switched to rock and roll. Yeah. And, and recently I saw, there's, there's a lot of YouTube um, clips of Robbie talking about those days. And he said, you know, he said they hated us. Yeah. He said everywhere we went, they we were throwing stuff at us. You know, it was the strangest thing. But anyway, so I got back to San Francisco. I got a driveaway car from New York, a little Volkswagen that a Jewish couple wanted to have down there in Miami Beach. Uh, and then I got a driveaway car from there. You know, you... I don't know if they still do that, but people want their cars delivered, and you so you get the car free, right. and maybe you pay gas or, yeah. and uh, got to Phoenix, Greyhound bus from Phoenix to San Francisco, and the first morning I woke up, I I, you know, I heard the freeway, and I thought, you know, fuck that, and so I quit, <laughs> and be an insurance broker, and uh, and uh, and went to work as a carpenter, so I kind of lived through those, sixties. Oh yeah, okay. So anyway, 1967, there was an event in June, like the first week of June in Marin County on Mount Tamalpais called the Magic Mountain Festival. And it was in, there's a beautiful amphitheater uh, uh, on Mount Tam uh, with rock, um, you know, uh, like a Greek theater. Mm -hmm. And it was the Doors, it was kind of the Doors' first big appearance and the Jefferson Airplane and Big Brother before Janus, uh, Quicksilver Messenger Service. Owsley flew over in a helicopter and dropped like 3,000 hits of acid. And uh, it was one of those sweet spots in time. You know, everybody yeah. went home. The next week was the Monterey Pop Festival in Monterey. And that was a, that was really, that was, you just had to be there to, you know, I mean, Woodstock, I mean, give me a break. Monterey Pop was really the that thing. Was the one, huh? Yeah. And, um, and it was just a, a beautiful confluence of people and, music and um oh and then earlier that year january of 1967 was the human bn which was this gathering in golden gate park that 10,000 people i think went to it and it had all the rock bands timothy leary suzuki roshi allen ginsburg gary snyder uh and it was it was you know i i like that expression the sweet spot in time yes. where everything comes together you know you swing and you hit the pitch and it's a home run 
And it was that was that was like that. It was like everybody was ecstatic. And those things happened in 1967. Those three things and a hundred thousand kids came to San Francisco. And there was it was a semi disaster. There was no place for them to sleep or eat or no bathrooms. And so things, you know, things went down from then. And then and that's a whole other subject of what happened, yeah. you know, where people went and what the the grimmer sides of that yeah. revolution. Homelessness and the drug abuse yeah. and yeah. the, the, the Yeah, cocaine came in about then. There wasn't any cocaine early on. How do you feel about that notion that that it was those creative sparks and a lot of the you know the because I've met a, a number of people from your generation and uh, I, I've had a lot of friends in my life I still do that are from your generation and um, they might be from an earlier generation than mine I'm eighty four yeah. so yeah, they're okay. a little bit earlier yeah uh, <clears throat> when my when I was twelve my best friend was seventy two uh huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. He's even a little bit earlier, oh. than that. but but uh, but I've I've made friends with some people and 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 had a very hard time making friends with some people from that generation. Hmm. And there's something that happened. I think for some people, the doors of perception opened just wide enough for them to get a good glimpse, and then mm. they closed back again so they could get on with their lives. Mm. But I've met many others where the doors of perception swung open so widely that they just firmly stepped sh- over well they just firmly shut again on the oh, other side yeah their their minds are so wide open that they're absolutely mm. opposed to things that they don't agree with yeah and it, it's it's been a weird thing but w- one thing that i i'm sorry to be rambling a little bit mm, but, no, no. but the um the the notion that the psychedelic uh and those those countercultural concepts that sort of brood here and the the west coast of, of the u.s particularly in san francisco and mm-hmm. marin and sonoma that uh that those things are the reason we have iphones and uh the internet and that all those things came out of that region from that that countercultural thinking do you do you agree with that yeah did you yeah see i think that pretty happen? much yeah well you know you know steve jobs is his famous uh, commencement address at stanford you know about that yeah he said that he said when i was a kid when i was in high school we were reading this whole earth catalog and he said you know this guy named Stuart brand was doing it, and he said it was like the google of the times and so yeah i, th- I think that that's true that that um that uh, i mean with steve acid was part of his vision and um with see like none of my nobody in my age group um tony sarah is one who's been a longtime friend of mine who's a famous lawyer but uh, and we dropped out we started smoking pot and 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 left our generation i i still am friends with uh people from college and high school we uh, my high school guys are maybe 15 of us so like we're 85 years old now. We still meet for lunch twice a year. And I and I'm I mean my politics are pretty much probably the opposite of all of them, but we're still friends. Yeah. I I don't know how to account for that. Um but uh, where where how do we That's having good values, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Be friends in spite of your politics. That's Yeah. Yeah, valuable. but you know, but uh, yeah, I mean I mean it changed the world. It really yeah. did and of course <laughs> You know, who would ever have thought that we'd be where we are now? I mean, you know, I met when when Obama, Obama's inauguration, uh, when uh, Betty Lavette and John Bon Jovi were singing a change is going to I was crying. Yeah. I thought this is it. This is, you know, this is the kind of of transformation that we were 
yearning for yeah. in the 60s, and it's going to happen now in Jesus. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, those, so I'll get around to writing a book on the 60s sometime. I've got about 40 books on the 60s. You know, there's, there's not very many of them that are very good as far as, but there was a, a 50th anniversary uh, of the, there was a, there was an exhibit called Hippie Modernism, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, I was unfortunate that that was the title of the show, but it was pretty good. It was in Berkeley, the Berkeley Museum, and then I think it has traveled. So anyway, it's a, I, it seems like now there's enough time to look back and see, uh, you know, have a, some perspective on the 60s. I mean, they say, they say the 60s happened in the 70s, and that's partially true. But the 60s happened in the 60s and in the 70s. And so in this book I'm working on, which is the story of building this house and raising food on this piece of land, uh, I've, looked, I've looked back at it. You know, I've had to look back at what we've done here for 40-plus years, and I realized that a lot of what we did was came from those concepts of the 60s yeah. that we were doing in the 70s. We wanted to be self-sufficient, as self-sufficient as possible, we wanted to build our own house. Uh, we, we, you know, we, we really, we kind of, I mean, we went, if any, we kind of went overboard. In, I mean, I was making my own fly swatters, you know, just, just but you know, th- that was a time when there was, it was easy enough to get by. Uh, uh, you didn't need a lot of money. And um, this land cost $6,000. And my bur- building permit was $250. I was my own architect. And, um, of course, that's not anywhere as near possible now, no. in, anywhere around here, well, unless build. you go to a little yeah. town in Colorado or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but you, but, uh, but that was a—so we had time to experiment, and, and then the, those concepts were, you know, pretty much what we followed and experimented with and, yeah. you know, cast aside some things like goats, uh, milking goats and, and bees. You know, we had goats, bees, and chickens— and uh, the goats are, dairy animals are really a challenge. I mean, you've got to milk them every morning and every afternoon and in the rain. And if you've got a cold and they don't take holidays. And so, you know, we gave up some of that stuff, but we've still got a big garden and we've got chickens and we've kind of, you know, found the right balance. The sweet spot in, in, yeah. in space, in <laughs> yeah. time and space. Yeah. I, I want to talk to you about, because you mentioned the Whole Earth Catalog mm-hmm. and I... um. I am. Uh, I don't even know how to put it. I still very much care about environmental issues. How old are you? I'm 40. Okay. Uh, I very much care about environmental issues, but I, I don't work in that field anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drive around in a van. Yeah. yeah. I, I purposely did not have any children, hmm. uh, and won't. But uh, and I feel like that's my carbon offset. <laughs> 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 but uh, and gives me license to, to, to <laughs> my self indulgent tour of the world. But uh, but anyhow, I want to do my bit, and I feel like the more people that nowadays can know about that that whole Earth catalog and what you guys were up to, I, I'm sure you've told the story a million times. But could you tell about you know what the whole Earth catalog was and what your involvement in it was?
on the road again I'm on the road again But I'm so tired of crying But I'm out on the road again I'm on the road again I ain't got no woman just to call my special friend You know the first time I traveled out in the rain and snow In the rain and snow You know the first time I traveled out in the rain and snow In the rain and snow I didn't have no pharaoh, not even no place to go Well, I think in those years, like in about maybe 63, I started getting interested in a lot of things like uh, Zen Buddhism mm. and organic uh, gardening and farming and building your own house. And, and there, there, there was all this knowledge that, that was starting to, that was floating around then, and it, or the beat poets, uh, rock and roll, um, communicating with dolphins, um, uh, the, uh, the underground newspapers started then. Uh, there was just this network of all this stuff going on. It wasn't really that it was new, but it was newly discovered by this large population group. And so I was living in Big Sur at the time, <clears throat> and I was building geodesic domes, and I was growing, I, I discovered Rodale's Organic Gardening Encyclopedia, and so we were starting to do all this stuff, and and uh, uh, I started getting letters from people asking for the mathematics of building domes, and I, I'd answer that, and I realized I was writing the same letter over and over again, so why don't I mimeograph something up, uh, and just so I can mail it out to people, and while I'm at it, I'll, here's Organic Gardening Magazine, and here's, you know, uh, the L.L. Bean Company, and Here's other, you know, here's the owner built home. And then I met Stuart Brand, and he was way farther into it than I was, and he was doing, he, so I didn't need to do that mimeograph pamphlet, and I went to work for him, and it was basically everything that everybody was excited about back then. I, I actually, I did a list that's uh, it's out in the office. No, no, I don't, no, there's a list, no, there's a list, um, there's a list in the book Homework about all this stuff, the I Ching, the yeah. Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, Dune, uh, Strangers in a Strange Land, you know, uh, uh, macrobiotics, brown rice, all these things that, uh, you know, and we we had the time to explore those things. And so Stuart put it all together and, um, and came out with the, the first catalog was 1968. Oh. And it was... Um, it was kind of brilliant the way it was put together, um, and um, and it just hit a hit a huge vein of interest, and went on to sell millions and millions of copies. And I I teamed up with Stuart for a while as the shelter editor of the Whole Earth Catalog, yeah. so we were free to just go out and you know we, we, he had different editors. He had an editor for gardening and another editor for the natural world. And so we, he would turn over the production facilities to us, and we would, for a week or two, do our own layout. And, you know, here's all the books I think are interesting. And and so that's what it was. And it really did kind of change the world. They just had the 50th anniversary of it about a year ago, a big event in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that sort of thing, those 
knowledgeable compilations because right now we have the internet right that that's yeah. this that's this river that is um five miles wide but perhaps an inch deep <laughs> and it it just doesn't quite gather the best practices it it, it collates information that it, that strokes your interests but it, it, but what you guys did was was to to collate something into best practices through okay we've tested these materials we've tested these things we've tried this there's a whole bunch of shit here that we've funneled into this thing that you can look at. And it's not to stroke your interests. It's to, to show you what we went out there and found through hard work and, and, and uh, curiosity. Well, Stuart, he called it access to tools. Mm-hmm. That was the subhead or yeah. maybe on the back cover. And um, that's what it was. I mean, now, well, it's a different era now. And I mean, and I mean, with all my problems with so much that's going on in the internet, it's there's still all the fabulous uh, ability that I have with Google. I can find out the name of a little town in the Czech Republic, and I mean, I, I can I can look, I can put in a, a, a one line from a song and say lyrics and and find out what that song is, and then I can listen to it. So all that incredible stuff that's that's just part of the whole picture is. The closest thing to the whole Earth catalog right now is Cool Tools, which is done by Kevin Kelly. It's at kk.org, and it's like the electronic whole Earth catalog. So every week there's maybe a dozen different things that they'll cover, and it's the same thing. People have used these things, and they're turning other people onto it, and it's non-commercial. So that's that's still, you know, that's still going on. But I think in the '60s and the '70s it was a smaller group of people. And there was no internet, so the way that you communicated was in books and newspapers and magazines and music. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, honestly, what was readily available at the fingertips, it, it, it just like a, a, a moment's uh, preoccupation, the things that you could look to were either a book, a television, or your radio, or you know, th- that were just at your immediate disposal. Now, in your pocket, yeah, you can be in a church and look up uh, the wildest <laughs> pornography you've ever seen. I mean, that is a functional thing that yeah. can happen any, you know. Yeah. I thought about it yesterday, my, my friend uh, that I was telling you about, he's yeah. 80 years old, yeah. and uh, we were talking about his parents. Yeah. And it was a fascinating story, his parents immigrated from Norway, mm. and uh, they were, they were uh, they had both passed, both, both of his parents had passed before the advent of the internet. And uh, I, I was asking him, like, what do you think your mother and father would have thought if you told them, hey, look, I've got this thing in my pocket. Yeah. That yeah. is, it's a, it's a map, it's a calendar, it's a calculator, it's a compass, it's a, compass, a, it's a flashlight. It's a, it's a, yeah. I, all these things, and it's just in my pocket. They would have been like, well, you've been reading a lot of really funny books. Son. Yeah, it's an encyclopedia, you know. It's every, all these things. No, that's just be incomprehensible. incomprehensible. Too, big a, too big a leap of, of uh, you know, of... Uh, Something or other, but the amount of time that has passed since their passing and this moment is less than a lifetime. I mean, it's not even yeah. a quarter of his life has passed in in that that radical change. Yeah, in yeah. the way that we can perceive things and and communicate and argue. And <laughs> did, did you, yeah, I, I, I mean, did you read about quantum computers yeah. last week? How Holy shit! Is. I mean, it it did something in three minutes that would take normal computers ten thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> How? How? Where are we? You know? What? What is this? Yeah. Well, you know. Um, yeah. So it's. I mean, part of 
part of it nowadays is kind of like tightrope walking mm. your way through technology. Yeah. You know, what is appropriate technology? You know, and 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 I I you know vi- I, that's a something I'm kind of continually trying to balance all the time. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that you know, I mean, we we have a book called Stretching, which tells people how to uh, to, to to pay attention to their bodies. Yes. You know, because that that brain of yours is housed in a you know in a body, and if and if you're not treating, if you're spending all your if you're spending ten hours a day on a screen, you know, it's not going to be good for your body, yeah. and so. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, kind of you know that I'm interested in now. I mean, if there's any one thing that could sell your book, it's the fact that you're 85 years old and you uh, have a stand-up paddleboard to take out into the ocean. <laughs> no, I haven't taken it out yet. Oh, you haven't I haven't taken it out, but I, I'm 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 pretty confident I'm going to be able to do it. Yeah. I, I just quit skateboarding. Um, you just quit. Skateboarding. Yeah, I just I I started skateboarding when I was 65. Okay. I got a lot of publicity out of it, and um, I was on you know a lot of shows and. Uh, and so this thing on my, this cast on my arm right now is yeah. a result of almost two years ago, I broke my compound fracture of my arm oh, skating and uh, just dumbass on a, an intersection on Van Ness Street in San Francisco. Yeah. I fell back at such a speed, put my, you know, Hand down. so I mean, it was such a trauma and surgery and, and, um, and I love skating. I just loved it. Uh, and, and the doctor that came in to, set my arm that night said you're too old to be skateboarding and i said yeah you're right and then about a week later i thought fuck that i'm i'm gonna keep skating but ever since that time i'm i'm tentative now i'm just a little and then the other day i thought you know uh i've had so many close calls you know where i could have hit a car Mm -hmm. i could have died or i could have gotten really busted up badly and if that happens one more time it's going to be such a drag it takes so long to recover, so yeah. I, I am so mature, I've, <laughs> according to my wife, to give up skating. She, and he says she's going to kill me if I get injured again. So, so I quit skating, and uh, uh, I, I took the skateboard all but one him <laughs> out of my car and uh, and all my safety equipment out of the car. And so, so anyway, with surfing, I've got this stand-up paddleboard. Um, that I haven't tried out yet because I got to wait for my arm to heal, but uh, I think I'm going to be able to do it. And the stand-up board, the the value of that is that you're standing up to to begin with, so you don't have to get up from a prone position. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm in good shape for my age, but it's a pretty low bar. Well, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just like it's not, you know, like there was this doctor um, years ago, and he he was a he was a skier, and he was a surgeon, I think, and he broke his leg. And um, after six weeks, they took the cast off. He said he looked at his leg, and he said it was all shriveled up. He said it looked like the leg of an old man. And he said he realized that it wasn't so much aging. It was it was disuse, disuse that yeah. people, so they stopped doing stuff. And, uh, and, and especially when, you, you know, when you're 80, it's a, 70 is a whole other realm, and 80 is a whole other realm from that. And so your body is starting to shut down in certain ways. And you've got to learn to deal with, like, I can't play the ukulele, I decided the other day anymore, because my hands just don't, you know, I, don't my, 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 my thumb and first finger aren't in the right uh, orientation hmm. together anymore. And so there's certain things that you have to give up. But I think as far as being in shape goes, I think that th- from this point on, there will be there will be plenty of 80-year-olds or, you know, in the next generation who are going to still be doing stuff. Yeah. You know, there's going to be, and so... 
so anyway, I yeah, I just you know, I I I think that's the you just you know use it or lose it. Yeah, you know, well, you're you're a testament to your method though. Uh, whatever it is that you've you propose in stretching, I, I would assume you continue to do and you you have done. Not as much as I should, really. Well, yeah, I mean that's everybody. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's everybody. Yeah. But uh, whatever it is that you've been doing and advocating, I, I would say that your your physicality in this moment is a testament to the efficacy of that particular. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I, I hate to be that guy saying I'm impressed. Boy, you sure get around good for an old guy. That's not exactly what <laughs> well, I'm saying, but it's you know, you know one of the things about skating was um, it was so great with the kids yeah. because they they um, they they just couldn't believe you know, and I I was not that good a skater. I you know if I'd started when I was younger, I I, I was never a really great surfer. I surfed for thirty or forty years, but you know I never was um, I never was a top surfer and. So when I, I skated, I skated um, basically carving, you know, going downhill on longboards, wow. like surfing, because it was fun. And what I liked to do was to try to be as graceful as possible. But I never did learn to slide. Mm. If you, that, that's a, because, so, so basically, I had no brakes. Uh, if you know how to slide a skateboard, right. um, you, you, you slide so you're sliding sideways and you slow down. And I never did master that. So it was always kind of I had to get off the board before things got out of control because I wasn't going to be able to slow down. And so that was kind of a but it was it was I was I'm still obsessed with it in my mind. I go down the five lane freeway. I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, if there were no cars here, you know, that would be, you know, really fun. Yeah, but you know, I'll get over it. You know, that's wonderful. So there are there are things that you know yeah. that I can't do anymore. Well, you know, but I but the, the stand up surfing is one thing, and then the other thing, the other thing uh, uh, is um, I don't run. Com- I ran competitively for about twenty five years, and then my knees. Uh, 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 I stopped r- racing because I wanted to be able to walk when I'm a hundred, and so I don't. You know, so I hike now, yeah. but the thing that's got me excited, in addition to stand-up surfing, is um, the e-bike, a pedal-assist bike, and um, I've kind of gotten over the, uh, the the idea that it that it's it's impure. You know, if you're if you're a Mount Tam uh, mountain biker. You know, here comes a, here comes a fat guy along on an e-bike passing you in the trail. You know, so I kind of want to respect those guys. Sure. You know, but I've tried an e-bike and oh man, is this fun? Our mutual and pal so, Chris has got got him. Oh, he does. Oh yeah, oh, yeah that's right. I, yeah. Well, we could have had a whole discussion about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, so so you know, at this age, at this stage, I want to have fun. I want to have an adventure when I work out. Yeah. I just don't want to run on the same streets or go to the same gym. So if I can go out and on this bike and go out in areas, you know, where I'm not going to be fucking up the trail or something, right. you know, but certainly I, I'm, I will end up going in places that are illegal, you know, but still even just riding on the pavement. So that's the other thing I'm, yeah. I'm going to do to stay in shape. Man, let's, uh, let's put together a cross country trip. <laughs> let's do it. My wife and I did that. We rode from Florida to California. We didn't have really? any e-bikes. Whoa. Uh, we, I'd love to do another one. Uh, and, and I'm, I've had knee surgery so far. I, I, I like the e-bike. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, they're, um, well, you know, they're exploding right now. So I don't know if you know it. They're, they're all over the place. There, there's, there's one I saw, uh, well, they, the, the most expensive one I saw was $14,000. It's a specialized, 
turbo they're called and they're beautiful yeah, they're and you know so i'm i don't i don't you know i'm so i'm waiting to uh, to, to try the uh, surfing thing yeah. and, and but then i probably will get a a, a, a yeah. pedal assist bike where you have to pedal sure you sure. know well we've got a pal who uh lives in um i think he lives in nevada city now but he's got a company called extra cycle and they're cargo bikes oh yeah electric yeah. assist and they're incredible man yeah take uh, after my knee surgery i mean within a week and a half of my knee surgery i was in nevada city pedaling one of those bikes with my wife in the cargo area behind me what kind of surgery you mean i did some parts uh, put in there no i had a uh I, I tore my acl um within a oh boy because my knee took me a year to heal it was unbelievable <laughs> hmm. uh, and it was just it was i had to pedal but very little. yeah i cranked it up you know to it's the most assist you could get well you have gears and you have levels of uh, assist of assist i cranked the assist all the way up yeah. the gears to the easy and i was yeah. able to ride around town yeah. nevada city with my wife behind me yeah that's how i mean like incredible <laughs> those bikes are but so uh, this leads me and i know chris is coming back to pick me up yeah. soon so our time is somewhat limited but your enthusiasm for the things which clearly interest you is infectious. I've just invited myself on a long-distance <laughs> bike ride with you because you're so enthusiastic about things. I um, I mentioned earlier that we're in a society that's somewhat punched drunk by cynicism. and how I feel like I've already been amazed that you're so physical for it being 85, but what I'm mostly really amazed about is how are you not cynical how what is it about is it just your your upbringing is what do you see out there that prevents you from being a cranky fucker like how are you so happy and enthusiastic what is what is in your in your diet man? my mom maybe let's all get up and dance to a song that was a hit before your mother was born though she was born my mom was a christian scientist among other things so we never went to doctor yeah. you know all our lives and and she just always was looking at the upside of things and and when she started failing she would be saying to me i never felt better in my life and i and i think it's maybe the glass half full thing yeah. i do get depressed sometimes i mean sure. sometimes i'll sleep all day it's just i don't want to face the world mm. but you know i think it's having stuff to do maybe uh having stuff to do is is um and and uh that there's bad shit in the world and there always has been there just seems to be a a whole lot of it now you know and uh so i you know i do get depressed from time to time but i i i kind of am at the best time in my life for my work because we rick and i the guy i work with we've really gotten good at putting books together yeah. it might ironically be the end you know if our books don't if the sales don't pick up it could be the end of of doing it that way mm. You know, in which case I might, 
I kind of fantasize about doing a blog about just, okay, here's my life. Here's what I saw today. And it, I used to have like four times as many blog viewers as I do now when I was really putting everything into it. Mm -hmm. If you go back and look at my blog from six or seven years ago. Shelter Pub. Uh, no, it's it's uh, my Lloyd Con dot com, okay. and then there's a list of topics up there. Okay. It's a really extensive. It's, it's enormous. Like, it's it, six thousand posts. Yeah, you know, and uh, and so, uh, but I'm not putting my heart into it like I used to. Sure. I'm doing it. I'm using it more like as a photo gallery now, and stuff will come in. But so I've thought of well, maybe I'll do. Maybe I would just do that and and try to get paid to do it or try to keep doing what I'm doing. So it's kind of up in the air for my operation right now. Yeah. I mean, my operation is, you know, so we produce books and that's where all the income comes from. But we also have a blog and two Instagram accounts and a website and, uh, and I'm doing interviews and I'm doing answering questions of people. And so we have a, we have kind of a, an information uh, network Very here much. for builders and, and also for just people who like to do stuff like, the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds are a different group. They are, they're coming up to me, and I mean, it's amazing how often it happens. I mean, I'm walking down the street in Edinburgh. This young guy, Ponytail, says, hey, you're Lloyd, aren't you? Yeah, well, I've read all your books. You know, so the, the, there's a group of young people who kind of um, hearken uh, back to what we were doing in the 60s. Yeah. And I don't know how big that group is. It may not be very big. It may be like, you know, Fahrenheit 451. Do you ever see the movie? Yes. It's about uh, books being burned. Right. And the people who were resistant to that, to the dictator, um, it would um, each take a book and memorize it. And they'd be out in the country, huddled, walking around fires, memorizing Ulysses or, you know, Hamlet. And uh, I sometimes think maybe my our group... Uh, my tribe is a small group of people uh, compared to the large group out there, and um, and so I don't know. I don't know if they, if there's a if I can. I I think if I can connect with enough of them, I can get supported somehow. You know, and 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 really the simplest way for me to get supported is by book sales. Because yes. getting supported by internet stuff is a whole other field, and you know. Uh, well, and you write good books. Your books, yeah, are we do. Yeah, we do good the books. Pictures yeah, pictures are fabulous, yeah. and the topics are germane. They're, I mean, you have clearly researched your shit. Yeah, you know, you know, but but you know, the fact that it's good does not necessarily mean that it's going to sell. No, like, um, okay, so we did a book called Tiny Homes. Mm -hmm. It sold one hundred and ten thousand copies. We did a book about four years later called Small Homes, which is a way better book than Tiny Homes. It was more practical, more useful, more interesting stuff, better builders. It sold 7,000 copies. Wow. You know, so it, Tiny Homes is just a buzzword. Yeah. And so the, the quality doesn't necessarily sure. denote success, you know. There's a reason those marketing guys make so much money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> taking a piece of what they've tricked people into buying. Yeah. I don't. I I just feel like um, that your message coming from you specifically, because a lot of people maybe say similar things to what you're saying about how to to build things that are responsible, made from responsible things, how to reconsider the way that you uh, fabricate your life. 
you know, that's uh, uh, it is something that there is a tribe who are very interested in that sort of thing. Well, it's doing stuff with your hands. I mean, it could could, could get right down to that. Yeah. You know that that uh, you have your hands, and then I, you know, so is it? So I've done this book on what we've done here. Um, and I'm looking at what we've done, and the, one of the main things I'm thinking, well, could you do this nowadays? <clears throat> and I think you can. I mean, even though th- where I live, the building codes make it impossible for you to do something that, that like we used to do, but there are areas where you can go in the country, you know, small towns where um, you can you can build your own house. There are little houses in towns and cities that have been abandoned mm-hmm. that you could fix up, and... And it, but I mean, everybody seems so far away from this. And then I, I had one thought: um, How are you going to finance yourself? Where you say it takes a, you a year to build a house? Okay, if you save up your money over a ten-year period, save up enough money to live on for a year, then you go build your house, and you've got it. Maybe you don't even have it finished, but you've got. Then you can go back into the mark into making money. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, if you took all the time you spend online right now. And put that into building. So you're going to spend two, three hours online. You put that into building. That's what I did. You know, I wasn't online right. in 1962. <laughs> you know, so I didn't spend any time, you know, answering emails. So, so I mean, I think that it's it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of cool to think that you still could do that. You still could create your own shelter. Yes. You can still grow your own food. Yes. But it seems kind of far away from where most people are going right now out there i read that like 60 percent of americans play video games you know and that they're kind of anti-social people 60 <laughs> percent. how did they get them to answer the 60 uh, percent the of them? I, <laughs> yeah. I guess they did the, the reverse uh, math uh, only polar you know well they, they yeah they can tell who's watching i guess yeah, or who's playing uh what i would be curious to see is maybe you and like a psychologist and a philosopher co-write a book on <laughs> working with your hands mm-hmm. not being an asshole and being <laughs> happy well into your, yeah. uh, your later years because you i mean your philosophy on life what you physically do with your time and your hands and your your efforts the product if everyone in the world could see what you have created Mm-hmm. in your life, in your structures, in your garden. It's a magnificent well, thing. Well, that's what this book is. I mean, yeah. here's what we've done. But no, I'm, I'm, I think I, I want to stick with pictorial stuff. Sure. I've got 300,000 digital photos. Oh. I've got so many photos of, you know, I can do a book on Barnes. Yeah. I could do a book on Baja. I actually have an idea for a book called Adventures in Building, yeah. which, I, which I would be fun to do. And it would be learning how to build, which I think people could relate to. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of books by architects on they're building their Walden cabin in the woods or something. But I think this would be, so that one, and then I could do a book on trips that I've taken. I've made these scrapbooks. I used to make scrapbooks of trips, Mm -hmm. and the scrapbook might take me four or five months to do it at night, uh, hand-lettered and and hand, and and pasting down four-by-six photos into, like, a a big, large-format scrapbook. And so... um, I like doing that. I like taking a trip, and from the minute I start out, I've got a stenographer's notebook on the passenger seat making notes uh-huh. and uh, and then shooting pictures. And so yeah. that would be fun to do, you know. You've got an endless supply yeah. Yeah. of, of yeah. interesting things to— Yeah. Well, I, 
I don't know. I wish um, I wish I had a big enough audience to, to, to just sort out your book selling problem, but uh, yeah. more for so, selling okay. your books than for me. But I, I, I think uh, maybe it's like getting your house burned down. Maybe you know, I've got to change my ways. I, I, I mean, it's been it's been fifty years now. Next year is fifty years of publishing, and I've lived off of it, and I've yeah. traveled, and I've. You know, my that's, extravagant that, lifestyle. That is success. You know. That is the most successful oh, yeah, totally. thing you could possibly yeah, And paid people millions of dollars in salaries. And, yeah. you know, so, I mean, it, it maybe maybe it comes to an end. I don't know. Or, you know, it's just a, a way to start out on a different track. Yeah. I, I would like to have a little more time. But I, I mean, pretty much all my friends are retired. And I, I can't imagine what I would do if I woke up in the morning and I didn't have anything I had to do. It's a weird thing. I, I can tell you this: my wife and I retur- retire early and often. We oh yeah, we won't likely. I mean, maybe we will somehow retire finally. <laughs> but uh, our idea is to work, like you said, we work really hard for a few years, and then we take an adventure. Yeah, we work really hard instead of building a house or building a family. Mm-hmm. We're uh, we're just being selfish <laughs> and building memories and oh. meeting people. And making friends that you'll have the rest of your life, and every trip you take—that's the whole premise yeah. of what our our, our life is yeah. about. Why we've even started to do a podcast—it's all about the, those moments and retiring early and often. And what I've found is, when you have little retirements to look forward to, your working life or my working life is as much a part of that journey as me being in Oaxaca. Uh, well, you mean your your trip is a, is the retirement part now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, We're, okay. We 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 work really hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Save our money. We live really cheap. Yeah. Um, and then we uh, we go take an adventure. We ride our bikes. We go mm-hmm. do these, you know, the top yeah. to bottom and types of adventures. Yeah. And and so I'm technically somewhat <laughs> retired, you know, by by not having intermittent retirement. Intermittent retirement, retiring yeah. early and often, but it's not um, that that waking up in the morning with nothing to do. Is uh, you are you don't suffer from a lack of imagination. If you anyone in the world wakes up in the morning with nothing to do, it's because they can't. They've lost their capacity to imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not interested in anything. Yeah, and which I I feel that way sometimes too. I get depressed and I don't want to do anything. I've, you know, I get I I call it the browns, not Mm -hmm. quite the blues. Like yeah, it's it's just this awful burnout sort of thing where I, I. I feel awful, but then I snap out of it, yeah. and I'm back in the world, and I'm glad to be there and learn. So I don't. Well, I'm retiring for a week in November. I'm going to Mexico. Where are you going? You know, uh, San Jose del Cabo. Oh, nice. I've got a, one of my two best friends down there, and he has family. And I, I, I spent 12 years going to uh, Baja, and uh, was going to. I, I was going to do a bilingual uh, photo journal down there. We did the first issue. And it was so much work that I just couldn't put the time in on it. It was called El Cora Caminos. And it was on the, the, the life in San Jose del Cabo, which is a l- different from Cabo San Very Lucas. Different, yeah. And I spent a lot of time on the East Coast. And so anyway, I'm going back down there and, cool. uh, you know, for a week. And uh, if I can do that, you know, it, it actually, for me, retiring would be an adventure. That's what yes. you're doing. Yes. Retiring from, <clears throat> from the, the email and the all the all the crap that I have to deal with right. accountants and lawyers and you know uh, r- reading computer figures yeah. on sales, you know that's I mean it would be great if I I would love it if I could just do my my creative work sure you know 
Well, I mean, it seems like you do mostly creative work, but I, I get that there. No, is I have some to do all the. I have to do pretty much all the, not the bookkeeping, but but all the day to day business right, stuff. Right. It's okay, you know. It's all right. Have you ever speaking of Baja? Have you ever been to Bahia Los Angeles, on the uh, yeah on the Sea of Cortez side? Fuck yes. Yeah, we've got a friend who lives there, a guy named Dale Smith. We met him on our, our way down. He's a photographer, yeah. the same generation as you. He has a place there? Yeah, he bought a place right on the beach, man. It's incredible. So Bahia de Los Angeles by the gringos is called L.A. Bay. L.A. Bay. And like yeah. uh, Bahia Magdalena on the oh. other side is Mag Bay. Mag Bay but yeah. anyway, uh, about that place, um, about 30 miles into the hills is the uh, Borja Mission. Which was the uh, the large? It, it, it was the mission. You know those padres that came. They were in pretty incredible guys uh, at taking hardships, and so they built it. There were thirty three thousand Cochimí Indians there. So if you go ever go there, you go into the hills there, go to Borja, uh, and they built a church out of blocks that they quarried out of the hillside. And there's crazy. hot there's hot springs there, yeah. and it's it's real deep in the hills, but it's it's in between. You know, the main highway going down, and if you go, then you cut through and go over to uh, uh, L.A. Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I've spent a lot of time down there. But, the, the, you know, uh, I'll give you the um, the thing, uh, the, the, this issue we did, including the Spanish galleons and their role oh, wow. in, in uh, g- coming cool. around the Cape there and getting uh, uh, captured by English pirates and— Anyway, so anyway, I, I I love to do that. I mean, that, you know, and I went for three weeks to Hawaii. I try to, I kind of try to weave things in. Like when I went to Hong Kong for printing books, I said, well, as long as I'm here, I'm going to go to Bangkok and Laos and, um, and Cambodia. You know, so I try to work that in. I haven't done much of that lately. Well, man, whatever you're doing <clears throat> is working. I would just say. Yeah, it looks like it today. Yeah. It you looks know. like it today. Yeah, when people come here, it's sunny, and, you know, yeah. you know, it's here when the rain is beating on the right. place, and, you know. Right, right, Although tonight we'll be without power again. Yeah, yeah, we're here at a weird time, and I, I, I've expressed it multiple times uh, in, in the company that I've been in, but uh, you and I haven't talked about it. I am exceedingly grateful right now, in this very moment, just, I mean, for so many things, but... Less than 60 miles away, there's a nightmare unfolding. Raging An fire. Absolute nightmare yep. of death and destruction and yeah. loss and, yep. and yep. fear and anxiety. And we are in your lovely home yeah. <laughs> uh, near the ocean. It's yeah. a gorgeous day. It's a little yeah. windy. Yeah. Uh, we're so, so lucky yep. right now. So yeah. I don't know if you're listening out there. Uh, <laughs> just next time you feel like you might be in a bad situation, uh, reach out to somebody and <laughs> tell them you love them. Be grateful. Be nice. Yeah, yeah. Lloyd, is uh, we got to probably shut this thing down, but is there anything you'd want to tell people? Is there anything, like, if you could just send out a message to people, anything in particular you'd want to let them know? Uh, yeah, um, just like if maybe if you're in doubt about what to do, just start, you know, uh, and uh, things will work out, you know. If, if you're, you know, if you've got... You know, so well, yeah. I guess I guess my one of my missions, I guess, is that one that's worked for me is to do stuff for yourself with your own hands, and another one is to take care of your body. That's why we did books on weight training, running, and stretching. 
and and so these are just things that I've run across that have worked for me that I think, uh, you know, would work for other people. Thank you, Lloyd. I okay. really appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Anytime you choose, kick off your shoes, rest your weary eyes, and catch up with the news. A favorite book will be the perfect company. So relax. Forget about the blues, you're doing fine. Leave your cares and worries far behind. Loosen up your time, let the world speed by. Life and all its troubles start to get you down Laugh and click your heels up and turn yourself around Anytime you choose, kick off your shoes Rest your weary eyes and catch up with the news A favorite book will be the perfect company so Start to get you down Laugh and click your heels up And turn yourself around Forget about the blues You're doing fine Leave your cares and worries far behind Loosen up your tie Let the world speed by Relax